seven, huh? Episode seven. That would be correct. We are on TCBH Hangouts. It's episode seven, TCBH Hangouts. We've got myself, Chris, Jack, Luke, Rob. We're in full force here. Um, we talk about all kinds of stuff that's going on the table, not on the table. These guys update me on news because I've been under the loop. So, uh, And we talk about all kinds of discussions, topics, uh, and we share some with you guys. Um, and we'll get to that later on, I guess. Um, is this the first time that we're all together in one in one solid podcast? I think it is. Yeah. It is indeed. It is the the full the full destiny of the TCBH <laughs> Hangouts crew. The encoutrement, as it were. As it were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, let's get started. I actually uh, finally got all my games, and because um, um, we just moved. And uh, our stuff took like a month and a half to get here. And um, we busted out all kinds of stuff. And then I was t- telling you guys about the, the Game Depot in Mesa, Arizona. Um, of course, we blew money and have there and uh, got a couple games. But uh, our recent one has that we've been killing is the is- Istanbul expansion, Ooh. Mocha and Bakshish. Aren't we ba- fancy? Yeah, I uh, I still don't know what Bakshish is. I was going to look it up. Um any ideas? You know, I have that expansion, and I don't know offhand, but I guess it sounds illegal. Obviously, a backsheesh is uh, tipping, charitable, giving, and certain forms of political corruption and bribery in the Middle oh. East and South Asia, obviously. Obviously. Almost as if you have Google. <laughs> Um, well, that's going to be interesting because I love that stuff, kind of stuff. My wife doesn't, so uh, we're going to have a fun conversation about that later. <laughs> you haven't actually played it yet? <laughs> we have. We have. We just didn't know what the backsheesh meant. And there, we, there is a tile on there that you have to donate some goods and, and then cough up the coffee. No pun intended. Um, but no, we found it fun. It opened the game up a lot more for us. Um, the bigger board. I, I've been wanting the bigger board for a while. Uh, interesting story with Istanbul. Uh, you know, this was a game that we, um, one of the first games that we got, and man, we played it like two or three times a night, like like two weeks in a row, and then we completely like burned through it. And um, it, and we kind of joke about this. We don't want to do this to another game. We don't want to treat another game like Istanbul. So we'll like you know, <laughs> pace them out. <laughs> and uh, uh, but um, we found ourselves wanting you know a bigger board wanting more options for movement and that's exactly what it did and of course we're big coffee fans so we were like oh hey bags of coffee beans uh. um but no we, you know it, it opened up so much it, it to me it does what an expansion is supposed to do uh it adds a little bit of flavor it adds this barrier and the, the second that i got away from the expansion stuff and forgot about like some of the movement rules she like destroyed me i kept getting distracted and i was watching tv and because i was up like five gems to like two and so she came back from that far with you know really pushing the, the mocha and the um the barrier because uh, there's a piece where you can block and um that was something that was definitely not in the original uh game the original game that that being able to block somebody and then being able to move another guy when you land on a spot when you land on a spot and there's other people there you know, you roll dice and you move them to other spots and then you either get benefits or penalties. And so that mixed it up even more and it gave you more room to play. I was all for it. So that's been one of our, our big things. Jack, you said you had this one. What do you think? Yeah. You know, the burnout is real. Like 
for Istanbul, I don't know what it is because normally I like maps where you're putting tiles together and building the map that you're going to play on. But something about Istanbul feels like the 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 setup and and the actual generation of the game feels more than the game is necessarily worth, which is weird to say because it, it has a lot of cool, interesting decisions. I like the core mechanic where you're dropping off a worker or picking up a worker in order to activate stuff. And mm-hmm. I do feel like the expansion adds enough to it that it, it fleshes out the game and it makes it a more enjoyable game. And I love anything having to do with coffee. So that's a huge win for, right, for right. like thematic purposes. But <laughs> something about the game just, it, it's one of those ones where I recognize it as a good game and I'm glad I have it in my collection. But almost every time where we're looking at our games and deciding what we can play, it's like, yeah, we can play any of these or Istanbul. Okay, let's play something else. Um, well, which then is, why do you still own it? I, why do I you have it if you don't want to play it? Well, it's on the chopping block. I, I'm I'm pretty, I guess, aggressive about getting rid of games. But, you know, Istanbul is one that, like, in theory, I enjoy playing it. But I, I just don't find an occasion to play it where something else wouldn't be better suited or, or something that we really want to dive into. So if I don't get, you know, two or three more games in in the next six months or so and feel like that's something that, hey, I, I've I've revitalized my love for Istanbul, then I probably will be getting it to a home that's going to appreciate it a little bit more. Well, so I recently had a similar epiphany uh, with my own collection. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, being the budget board gamer, I have 30 games or less at all times. And if I don't, I'm very upset with myself for having more than that. And I, I make it my duty, my my civil job to uh, adjust the numbers accordingly. Um, <laughs> and so recently uh, I, I picked up a copy of Kemet on a trade. And I played it once. And I was really underwhelmed by it. And I kept saying, all right, I got to get this back to the table. I got to get this to the table, mm-hmm. give it another shot, really. And every time I looked at it, I went, no, I just don't want to. I don't want to set it up. I have no interest in playing it. And like, it just really left a sour taste in my mouth the first time I played it. And it got to a point where I realized if I don't want to play this game, then why the heck do I own it? Like, you know, actively, if I look at my. If I look at my collection and there's a game that I go, I don't, I don't know if I want to play it. Chopping block immediately, like it's mm. it's either gonna stay or it's not. But I need to play it once more and I need to determine what's gonna happen to it. Looking at my collection now, all of the games on my shelf, I'm like, yeah, I totally play that in a heartbeat, a hundred percent. There's something to be said about the the feeling that you have to play games that you own. I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but that that's something that that like weighs down on me. It's probably because oh, yeah. I'm too like sentimental and precious about things, and so um, I like feel bad, like sympathetic to the games that don't get played on my shelf. I'm like they're <laughs> going to be lonely, and so you know there there will be those situations where we have all these games that we want to play, and then it's like oh, we really should play Istanbul because we haven't played it in a few months, and it it really should be played if we're going to own it. And then you're justifying your ownership by playing a game that you didn't necessarily want to play, which is kind of the opposite of what you should be doing. It's like that fight club, the things you own start owning you type of thing. 
And so that that's why I totally advocate for like, you know, the you don't have to own every good game. You just have to own the games that you really want to play and get consistent joy out of. And there's no hard number that's going to work for everyone of whether it's 10 games, 30 games, or 100 games, or, you know, 500 games. It, it all just comes down to, like, what brings you joy and what actually, you know, makes you fulfilled and, and have happiness through a hobby that you're participating in. But, yeah, totally. Whenever you're beyond that limit start culling your collection and getting down to the ones that you really, really love because there are always more games coming out and you're just going to have like an ever-expanding collection beyond that. I couldn't agree with you more. And, I, you know, that awareness that's created by some of those um, those budget board gamer tips uh, can help create that awareness for sure. I couldn't agree with you more. There's times where we're like, well, we haven't played this one in a while and uh, we don't want that to be the reason. Um I will say this about Istanbul, you know, I hear you guys about the setup and there's times where it's like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to set it up. So there's times where we've set it up earlier in the day and then just came to it because it does kind of hit this retail therapy, you know, part of us that like, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, we just want to go blow money. And then when you don't, you really do feel like you're going through shopping. We got like what we call shopping games that we feel fills that shopping bug. And so if people really had the, needed the retail therapy fix though, uh, it would be worth the setup to me. Like I notice we play Istanbul when we're broke. I'll be holding the, <laughs> I'll hold the gems up. I'll hold the gems up into the light. And I will, you know, like, uh, like the guy on the box of splendor. Sometimes that's our back. That's our back to back. The Istanbul splendor back to back. It's like, all right, we just went through the town, you know, scout, powering for these gems and now we play splendor because now we're working up to own in the shops we've actually tied them together like that That's and cute. uh ends up being a fun night you feel like a baller at the end of the night i feel like the guy on the cover with the <laughs> the guy on the cover of splendor that's my man right there <laughs> that's my bro <laughs> yeah hey, rob rob what's something tedious that you've been doing lately or setting up have you been doing any gaming lately i haven't ch chatted with you in a while man um gaming wise not much on my end um with work and school, it's been pretty busy for me. Um, trying to get some production in the middle there, right, somewhere. Right. Uh, mostly just been working on some uh, some tracks with a buddy and producing some tracks for another friend, and then soon we'll be working on some Death Force stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll we'll get to that later. Okay. Um. Yeah. You know, my only other game that I've been playing is Clans of Caledonia, and uh, we we met, talked about it a little bit last time but um long story short we've been playing it some more and taking those pieces off of your board and getting the stuff and the worker placement it just it hits on all cylinders for us i'm not going to get into too detail about that well i am going to get into detail about it because i played it again last night and i've played Did it you? twice in the last couple of weeks and that game is something else like it is really cool i i think it combines the elements of terra mystica and um and voyages and marco polo that i like the best and does away with all the crap that i don't like in those games like it, it, it gives you a bit of engine building it has a real sense of empowerment and direction that you can really go into the asymmetric powers are substantial but not overwhelming it, it's a right. really really great old school 
Euro game with uh, with a ton of fantastic economic options, and I, I love how insane it starts to getting uh, with the with the market adjusting and the the way that cost is, is constantly in flux for the six different resources and how you can right. build your factories to change one resource to another. I really dig the the game itself. That said. What do you feel about the art? I'm so glad you're playing this game. Um, the art, <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you're playing it, man. The artwork, yeah. You know, I like the little hex board. I wish I could have got more. Um, it's there. It's it's right there for me. You know, I get it. You know, I, I it seemed a little Agricola uh, to me with the, you know, like the little clans. And you got the Fer- the Fergusons, Mackenzies, I mean... and the Scottish kilts. And I, and I get it, but it's just, it's just right there. It's nothing that, like, blew me away. So I'm going to drop a board game bomb here and say that Clemens Franz's artwork is really boring and unsubstantial. <laughs> and and I don't mean that in the traditional Euro game, like, oh, this just looks like someone's take on like a Renaissance painting or something. I mean, no, it, it, it doesn't have style or, or substance at all. I would gladly take the artwork on the cover of Castles of Burgundy over the covers to, I, I don't know, Clans of Caledonia, to Isle of Sky, to, um, I don't know, Agricola even. I, I think there are some instances mm-hmm. where the, the style has a, a little bit of character to it, but there's something in particular that really bugs me about Clemens's artwork and i i don't know i'm not a visual artist so i i can't really comment on this to the degree that i i i understand why this is happening but i Uh feel like he uses really really bold black lines and then everything within looks really fuzzy and i think what's happening here is that he draws them at a certain size and then the the characters are then put onto like a painted background um and adjusted for size as it mm. would fit in the background and so you're losing detail as the character is getting expanded i could be completely off and i know there are people who are like gaga for him and i love a ton of the games that he's done artwork for it's fine and i'm glad mm. that he he's doing artwork for board games except I, I don't know why it's like, yeah, we got that guy to do it. Like, that's a big draw. Like, it is passable to me. Yet it seems like in the board game world, it somehow legitimizes you as like, well, it works for Uwe Rosenberg games, so we got that guy. So we have the mm. best looking, most Euro-ish game in the world because we have bad character designs. <laughs> yeah, it's that's actually interesting to talk about because I recently watched a video uh, from someone who's like a big Agricola fan, like a huge advocate of the game, but was comparing the art of that to something like Scythe and discussing how to a certain degree, like I think his argument was that it's the responsibility of uh, a publishing company to have uh, it's it's called Scythe and the Art of Board Games by Clado on YouTube. And he was trying to, I think, argue that 
like both games are equally good in their own ways, or at least that was the vibe that I got by the end of the video, but that the art of Scythe makes that game so much more appealing, makes it so much easier to pull it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes the game a better experience. And, you know, some people can argue that, oh, it's just it's just uh, it's just skins in a video game. It doesn't affect the gameplay of the experience. But we as a society value beauty and art. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that in board games, you know? Right, right. So so like having good art actively adds to a gaming experience. Well, don't get me wrong. Like don't don't get me wrong. Like realism does not equal good to me. It's not to say that he's a terrible artist or if you like his stuff that you're a terrible person. I just think that this is an interesting example of a game where you can examine like why is artwork relevant to board games and is it something that can amplify good feelings or detract from the enjoyment that you have either way we looked at it a little bit differently you know historically we've talked about my wife and her issues with the feed the people mechanic in games and so this one ended up kind of like taking the place of Agricola, I could, I, I, I'm gonna have to figure out how to get her back on the game because this one just <laughs> did it better for her. I, I hear what you're saying too about it. Would a, would a, would a better coat of paint put it over the top more? Possibly, you know, I, I we looked at the board as, oh, he, we get to populate all this with our miners and, and woodcutters and distilleries and stuff. And so we, we were, we were, we enjoyed like putting stuff onto this, like what's a bland board. I mean, it's got some mountains. It's got, you know, I mean, it's terrain. And so we we looked forward to like populating it, and then oh we got to lose sheep to get this. You know I like the, you know the slaughtering. She likes slaughtering animals better than feeding her people. <laughs> <Jeez>. Brutal. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but um, you know, it's also a nostalgia thing maybe for us because you know Agricola was one of the first games that got us into this, and so anytime we see something like that, we're just kind of like ooh, and and maybe that's the. Maybe that's the draw behind Clemens and his artwork. You know, it's just got that kind of a, like a classic kind of feel. I don't know. It's like a comfort blanket. Yeah, yeah. I can exactly. That. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's consistent. Mm. At, at least, like you can recognize his artwork from a mile away. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I probably went harsher than I I needed to because typically I don't call out people to be like, I think this sucks. And again, you know, artwork is entirely subjective, but the the yeah. the artwork does nothing to inspire me. But I should say that it's totally acceptable and, and passable for the game yeah. itself. And on on the table, it, it's a really beautiful, abstract, elegant game. The other thing that I like about that game, getting one more thing in, is like one of my other favorite economic euro games terraforming mars every penny counts like oh, every yes. dollar matters in that game and you're going to have a lot of situations where if you just had one more dollar you'd be able to do something substantially different than what you actually can do and that's not abnormal in games but it's typically in games where the the standard amount of money you might have is like 
five to ten dollars or bucks or fronds or whatever whatever it mm-hmm. is but in this you're dealing with you know 40 50 money on a turn and still every penny counts yeah and that's part of the theme too which i really like that one of the things you can't like trade back and forth or the only reasons that you, the trade is limited is because they said that trade was slow back in those days and so i was like okay i get it all right we're conforming to the times so you know it definitely has a heartbeat um you mentioned those soulless games i think this one has a little a little bit of soul I liked it. Like when I was the Fergusons, they can start on the outside of the border. So and you get an extra guy. So I was like, oh, the Fergusons are rolling through, man. People don't like it when the Fergusons roll through. I can see them in town and people are looking over and they're like, man, there's that Ferguson again. man. <laughs> you know, they don't live here, but they they they're always showing up, you know, stuff like that. And, and and we were we were joking on all kinds of little fun little stories while we we're playing it. But no, I appreciate that you bringing that up, Jack, because uh, this one's skyrocketing up. Um, skyrocketing up our list. So, what else? What else you're playing? Uh, I, I've been playing all kinds of stuff. The the I'm... two that I just wanted to mention here, really quick: Tiny Epic Defenders, the second edition with the expansion Dark War, and you know, the Tiny Epic games are a whole nother thing. Where in the and gaming... you are loyal to them. You are loyal to these uh, Tiny Epic games. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm necessarily loyal because I, I'm not like getting every new one that comes out. You know, I okay. I've played the majority of them, and I definitely feel some of the Tiny Epic fatigue. But I will defend that they make something <laughs> that is is consistent in that it. it always has lots in the box there's always a solo mode in there they have adorable components and they do try to distill something into an experience that a lot of people want to have in many cases i don't want to have those experiences but i i i see the the niche that they're filling within the hobby and i'm totally all about that now tiny epic defenders is one of my favorite of the tiny epic games probably my sentimental favorite uh for reasons i've talked about on other podcasts um but the the second edition gives it a fresh coat of paint which it definitely improves on if you're talking about like the the substantial change in artwork the original had again kind of passable but somewhat generic artwork that didn't really inspire anything well this new edition is to me the best looking of the entire tiny epic line it's really beautiful and and the the artwork actually kind of floored me with how cool of fantasy illustrations that they were bringing and there's a couple minor rule changes that make it for a really fun enjoyable tight co-op game that could either be played solo or co-op in about 20 to 25 minutes or there's a, a longer game that the expansion brings in or just kind of expansion elements I, i'm not sure how i feel about the expansion just yet there's a, a lot of cool things that it um it it brings to the table but i think it might undermine the the core experience of just having like this really immediate like 20 to 25 minute puzzle and so i i'm still kind of making up my mind about the expansion i've only dug into the stuff in it once but overall I I really dig this game, and it, it's rekindling a, a love I have for particularly the first 
three tiny epic games, which was Tiny Epic Kingdoms, Tiny Epic Defenders, and then Galaxies. Galaxies tends to be the the critical favorite that people uh, on the the anytime a new Tiny Epic game is announced, people are like, "Eh, these are garbage," except for Tiny Epic Galaxies. That one's pretty good. What's I can up? I can definitely uh, get behind. Tiny Epic Galaxies being the only one that really grabbed me, but I got a ton of fatigue from that game simply due to the, do you want to follow? Do you want to follow my action? Right, like right. Like every, every freaking <laughs> okay. action you do, right. you have to spend five minutes to make sure that everyone's good before we move on. And inevitably someone's going to go, wait, 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 what did you do like two actions ago? Can yeah. We, well, can we go back to that time? And uh, That's God. when you say, forget you. You didn't speak up, so hold your peace. But that's actually something that is probably why Defenders is my favorite at this point, is there's that immediacy to the game. Like, it's not the most complex game. In fact, it's not a very complex game at all. And it doesn't have a, a ton of variation from game to game, but it's easily repeatable in a way that your actions have a direct impact and will change the board state on your turn. What happens at the resolution of a turn changes things in a meaningful way, and you will be able to face it and be proactive in smart ways. And there are cool choices to it. Uh, Luke, you're up. Oh, it, it's a me now. Yes. Uh, ooh, choices need to be made here, folks. Um would y'all rather hear about Root, which just came out recently from Letter Games, which, if you aren't already aware, I'm a huge fan of Vast and the Mysterious Manor and Vast and the Crystal Caverns. Uh, we have the option of revisiting Carcassonne, or you can hear about my truncated thoughts on the Wind Gambit and Rise of Fenris expansions of Scythe. I want to hear about all three, personally. Me I think too. all three of these are really interesting, especially Carcassonne being here as like, you know, one of the mainstays of the board gaming industry cropping up on your list. So, you know, yeah. why don't you take it away in whatever order you want? All right. Well, I'll start off with the thing I've been doing the most, which is playing a lot of Scythe. I've been playing Scythe almost nonstop for like the last two or three weeks. Yes. It's a little ridiculous. Um, my truncated thoughts... On, so the Wind Gambit was something that I tried a while back. I tried it once and I'm like, uh, this is dumb. Why Why did I why, – why would I ever include this in my game? And after playing Rise of Fenris, I revisited Wind Gambit and I went, this is brilliant. This is like the best – this is – so Wind Gambit, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, adds airships to the game, which – what do airships do? I don't know. And neither do you until the game starts. Each of them uh, – so there are two different factors that give airships their abilities every game and they change every game, which at first for me was like really off-putting. It's like it doesn't have a standard mechanic, so how can I yeah. learn the game well enough to play it every time? But mm -hmm. ultimately it's very simple. Like it either can carry up to two workers or up to three resources – uh, it flies over the everything so it can't control areas and everything on it is out of reach of anything else. And um, the abilities are generally really subtle but interesting. Like the last game I played um, 
one of the abilities that the ships has was that if your airship is there to observe a battle between anyone else, you get um, X number of dollars plus one, where X is equal to the number of workers on that ship. So literally, there was one player who was an instigator who's like, I'm just going to move my airship over here. and Oh, I'm going to start a battle there. Uh, I get three free dollars, whether I win or lose the fight. But I'm going to win the fight anyway. And Which just is, like, he would wow. have these huge power plays of like, but he was telegraphing his actions, you mm-hmm. know? He was mm-hmm. setting it up so that his airship was there. Um, which in this game, the airships only had one movement. That's another thing is that the different tiles determine how much movement an airship can have. Right. So like, it's this really unique, but subtle way of just like having the game have some variability game to game, but there can be whole games where you just don't use the airships at all. And that's perfectly fine. And like, that's interesting. Just having the option there. It, it, it adds to the mm. game without detracting anything from the experience. Uh, that's completely, completely how I felt about it. And, and I'm wondering, are you playing with the core rules where you're using just two tiles, one of the aggressive, one of the passive tiles? Oh, absolutely. And that mm-hmm. applies to everyone globally? Or are you doing the, the variant in the rulebook where everyone gets their mm. own pairing? Globally, by far. Like, yes. so I've been going through the designer diaries on it and everything. And they, um, you know, Jamie talks about how he tested everyone having their own. And it just became too much. It became too swingy. And, like, the the very idea of everyone having their own unique airship with their own abilities just smashed my face against a wall. There's just too much information there. Scythe is already a game or like, for the first three or four months of owning it, I st- I still get rules wrong sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. I've only just recently been really cognizant of the fact of when you have an encounter and the encounter allows you to build a mech, you're not building the mech with your workers. You're building it on the space where the encounter was like that rule in and of itself, where all of your encounter stuff goes on the encounter tile that you encountered it at is really difficult to remember because it goes against everything else the game tells you. Yeah, absolutely. But Wind Gambit is very juxtaposed to how I feel about Rise of Fenris. Rise of Fenris is, I I can't say much about it, unfortunately, and I want to say everything about it, but my my brief thoughts on it is it's a well-made game. Uh, or a well-made expansion. It basically is if someone made a comment on BGG about, I like Scythe, but I'd rather have more of this. Uh, Rise of Fenris enables that, but it also, in doing so, takes away from the Scythe experience that already exists. Everything there adds something, but then actively takes away something else. And for me, that's very frustrating. I, I want, like, Invaders... And Wind Gambit both do such a good job of just going, here's another aspect of the game that feels so natural. It feels like it's always been a part of Scythe. Mm. But now you just have more options. Whereas Rise of Fenris is, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You either pick one or you pick the other, and there's no in-between about it. So I'm I'm slowly but surely exploring my thoughts on it. I, I've got a lot to, of it to revisit because there's a lot of content to it. But I'm sort of... Uh, forming my opinions on it slowly but surely as I continue to play with Scythe. So let's talk about it structurally because it's the reason you can't talk about it is because it it almost has like a legacy element or a campaign where certain aspects of the 
of the expansion are unknown to the player until they actually start opening boxes and playing through the sessions, right? Well, let's not use the term legacy because that's a misnomer. And I, the more I do research on the expansion, the more I see uh, Jamie Stegmaier getting frustrated by the term legacy. Yeah. Like every time <laughs> someone says the word legacy, he's like, no. No, it's not a legacy. Like, he's really polite about it. He's such a sweet guy, like, just watching him interact with people. But it's very clear that it's getting to the point where he's like, no, it's not a legacy. Please stop calling it a legacy. Well, like, so the reason why it's not a legacy is because um, there's no permanent removal of any components in the game. There's no tearing up cards. There's no destroying anything. You can play the campaign as many times as you want, but the first time you play it, there's stuff that's hidden that you reveal and experience for the first time, and it's meant to give you that, oh my god, kind of like experience with these new ideas and stuff. Which honestly, like in my experience of playing it, I don't care for legacy games. I'm not a huge fan of them. I find it very difficult to get the same group of people together for multiple playthroughs of a game. And when I do, it's it's just a frustrating experience. I had a really not great experience with pandemic legacy personally, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, but the, so the reason why I can't go further into discussion is because all of the content in the box is secret more or less until you've played it for the first time. So I, I've heard, and maybe this is a, a spoiler in and of itself, but I've heard that it also gives you like a cooperative mode or something. Is that like, integrated into the expansion or is it like some other aspect to the expansion that's not part of the campaign structure it is a different aspect of the campaign structure so so that's like there's a few different types of modules that are in the game and one type of module i would say quote in quotes type is uh variant modes so like the campaign is a variant mode and then separately the co-op thing that you're referring to is a variant mode okay um so that does exist it exists separately from the campaign i personally have not tried it um that's honestly it's something i have no interest in trying because i do not like co-op games let's just get a list Mm, of all the things that luke does not like this (laughs) is the do not like my least favorite things yeah i'm like over here like throwing shade on artists luke's like co-op games legacy games it's all trash get rid of them uh i know that for a lot of people like cooperative games are are huge and so i wonder how successful at co-opifying an existing competitive game this is going to be i mean yeah. the the automata in base side the the or automa i think is the yeah. actual name of it and then automata is one of the versions within um is really cool and i i really like the solo game i dig that quite a bit even though i'm not a huge solo game player and I don't know that I would want a cooperative game that is just that, except you have a team that you're working with because managing dummy players can be difficult. And then if you're also with someone else, it just kind of gets a little bit weird, but I'm interested to to see what comes out of the the cooperative side of it. You know, like this is, this is an interesting stage in the board game world that we are. And it's fortunate that, 
Stonemaier Games is a reputable company that people really dig, that, that mm-hmm. people trust that Stonemaier Games is going to give them a, a product that they enjoy. Because if this isn't a legacy game, if, if that's not an, an important or integral aspect of this, what you're effectively telling people is, trust me, buy this box, you're going to like it, because I'm not going to tell you what's in this box. And if you wanted to, I guess there are spoiler reviews that are out there. And in fact, Luke and I are going to be doing a spoiler podcast with Jamie Stegmeier on an upcoming interview episode of Cardboard Herald. But oh. it, it's it's still like a just a strange place to be where it's like, yo, I'm selling you something and it's not a cheap thing, but... I'm not really going to tell you what's going to be in here. You're just going to have to trust me that for $50, you're really going to like it. I I went into this with that trust. And like Stonemaier Games certainly delivers in terms of content. There's a lot in the box. And if you find something in that box that super interests you, it's going to be something that you're including, I think, in almost every game of Scythe you play moving forward. It's just a matter of what you're looking for out of Scythe. Um, mm-hmm. Because realistically, there's at least one thing in the box for everyone. There's at least one thing in the box for me. You know, There's one thing, one module that I look at and go, yeah, you know, I would probably include this in every game as an option. But, you know, everyone, it's, there's some, at least one thing there for everyone, which is nice. You know, there's such a variety of modules in the box that it provides, the, the Stonemeyer provides, as it were. Um, mm. But yeah, those are my, those are my spoiler free thoughts on Rise of Fenris as of whatever day it is now, today. <laughs> That's a good way of handling it. So, what's up with the root? Okay. All right. So Letter Games is one of those companies that I'm I'm all about what they're doing. Like I love Vast even though I have a hard time getting it to the table because it's such a commitment. Um, I was quoted on the Mysterious Manor Kickstarter. Like I'm all about that. I, I just really dig the experimentation, the unique ideas, what they're doing. And Root kind of goes – what if we had the asymmetrical thing in a war game? And it's got a beautiful art style. Um, it, it, it makes me think of Redwall. Like, if you've ever read a Redwall book, you're basically playing one of those. Uh, um, excuse me. Uh, you're talking to Jack <laughs> Eddie here. I've read so many Redwall books multiple times. Uh, that was, like, cornerstone of my childhood. And immediately what I jumped to when I saw root it was like oh my god they're they're actually delivering on the red wall mouse guard critters in the forest having swords type of thing I, I i really dig the look of the game i haven't checked it out yet though oh yeah absolutely the the artwork is gorgeous and all of the roles are very um or at least somewhat reminiscent of the vast roles like the um the vagabound uh, which is the solo run around team up with people is like inspired by the thief. Um, but ultimately it's a game that I've played. Uh, so I've played it twice so far. Uh, I don't own a copy of it. 
and I don't plan on owning a copy of it because for me personally, it fell flat a little bit for me, and here's why. Um, Root takes the vast sort of asymmetric gameplay, like I mentioned, but it Mm -hmm. makes it so that your goals as a player aren't necessarily like so in Vast, the knight is tasked with defeating the dragon. If you defeat the dragon, you win. The goblins are tasked with defeating the knight. If they do that, they win. The dragon is trying to escape the cave, and the cave's trying to keep everyone at bay. Everyone has a character that they're like, all right, I'm trying to muddy up your plans, specifically. And it keeps a really smart balance of the game because it makes it so that every player is responsible for balancing out another player. And, and it works really well. In Root, it's like, no. Um, you get points from building your buildings or from attacking other people, but there's no spe- specific... Sp- there's no specific <laughs> like person that you're going after, yeah. which normally would bo- it wouldn't bother me because I don't like going after a specific player. But because Vast is built around that, it has its own internal balancing mechanic. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Root, it's mm-hmm. a free game, and ultimately every game feels like, oh, that player just kind of ran away with the game. Or you get to a point where it's like, oh, that player's going to win. Everyone dogpiles on them, and then someone else squeaks out because no one was paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one or the other. Every game I've played so far, which is only two, but, like, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth. It feels... Very, I don't want. I don't want to compare it to Munchkin because it's very smart <laughs> and complex. But the ending makes me feel like, oh, you're gonna win. I can't let that happen because you know the game tasks me with trying to win. So everyone dogpiles on the one player, and then like it, it has that feeling of like you should have won, but everyone else stopped you. And uh, my issues with the game is uh, furthered. By the fact that, uh, so in Vast, everyone has their own deck of cards, right? The knight has their own quests. The goblins have their own, they have like four decks. It's nuts. Like everyone has their own card resources. And while in Root, everyone has their own tokens, there is a pool of cards that is for everyone. Which means that every card in the deck has a ton of information that might not be relevant to you. Or might not make sense for you to play for your character. So you're you're in this position where it's like, oh, God, there's just so much junk on this card that means nothing to me constantly. And it also means that because you're all drawing out of the same pool of cards, that you're, um, you're getting cards that are worthless to you sometimes. Like I've played mm-hmm. – one of the games I played, my opening hand was just nothing but ambush cards, which – is fine for a very specific situation, but if my if my character class can't just spend cards uh, for resources for the suits of those cards, because each card has one of four suits, then those cards are dead cards in my hand, for the most part. Like I don't, I can't do anything mm. with them. Right, right. That's interesting. So it, it's less like criticisms of like this game isn't a type of game that you would. You know, like it's not that it's just not a game for you, but there's things that you think undermine the the success of the game, even if you're someone who really likes this type of game. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. if I'm going to play a war game, there are 
way better war games out there for me to pick up, in my opinion. Like, you know, uh, while I don't like Comet at all, Comet is a fantastic war game for those who are into that kind of game. Um, or right. like, you know, if I, if you want an asymmetrical game, there's already Vast. Vast just does it so well. Yeah, totally. Well, but, yeah, go on. Well, I, I know I've been rambling. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, Root is, is like, it, it has a great look, and I, I do want to try it. It seems certainly more approachable and, like, it would be easier to get to the table than Vast, which is still just, like, so hard to get to the table because explaining the game can be really difficult and even relearning the game if you haven't played it in six months or a year and being like wait how does this work again and especially if you're in a game group where there's like one person who typically learns everything and then explains everything to everyone else then it becomes this weird truncated like i'm going to explain to you how your rules (laughs) all work right now everyone else is going to lose entire interest because they're going to feel it's not relevant to them. And then halfway through the game, everyone else is going to be like, hey, I didn't know that they could do that. And it's like, well, had you been listening, I know I was explaining their rules, but that it, everyone's stuff impacts one another in some certain way. Um, right. So like, part of what mm-hmm. I've seen as really positive feedback or, or positive Uh, I guess, critical opinion of Root has been that it delivers some of the asymmetry, but in a much more approachable and replicatable way that you can get to the table more often. It's easier to explain to people, but uh, it sounds like it may also sacrifice some of the magic for you in doing so. Well, and here's the thing with that. So from like a mechanical perspective, yeah, it's easier to get to the table, but if you've played it before, it's got the commit issue of the person who's played it the most wins, period. Yeah. Like, if you're going to be playing it multiple times, you need to play it with the same group of people. And then it becomes like this little eternal, internal, you know, uh, interaction between a specific group of people. Like in Vast, you know, you need to have people who are familiar enough with the rules to be competitive or else you just win every game. And that's okay. not fun. That's not interesting. Well, let's talk yeah, that's about that's really good. So get your great, so yeah, so get your game group together and get on it, huh? And so, what was your last point about Carcassonne? Uh, so really quick, I picked up an old copy of Carcassonne, <laughs> and I've been trying to MacGyver it to make it fun. And I know that sounds real bad, but like, I owned Carcassonne once, and I wasn't like the biggest fan. I like the ideas behind mm-hmm. it. I like the simplicity of it. Yeah, but I'm constantly trying to work it so that it's long, but not too long, or it's got so, uh, enough mechanics to it where it's interesting, but not so many mechanics where it's overwhelming. I have the first three expansions to the game, and I'm like, I'm ripping things out and then putting them back in, and like I, I don't, I, I'm trying real desperately to make this game like fun for me. You know what I mean, Chris? So do you funny. like? That's so funny, almost exact same experience for me almost the exact same experience but you know we think it's fun we're just trying to find that that's i'm not alone <laughs> well oh I, yeah i actually i i don't know rob can attest to this uh we really dig carcassonne and it it feels dated and it feels limited in scope but 
for us, just base Carcassonne with the river. I mean, I, I have the six little mini expansions if I feel like I really want to like integrate something, but just that is totally solid. And, and, and there's something that feels so deliberate and almost therapeutic about Carcassonne, like being able to just pick up a towel, play it, pick up a towel, play it. And I, I, I really dig the game and it, it, in a way is kind of like the perfect, I don't really want to think hard at the end of the day type of games. Like, you know, we, we have a toddler and he is wearing us the hell out. And some days we're like, we wanted to play games (laughs) three hours ago. And now I don't know if we really have it in us to actually think (laughs) about anything now that he's asleep. Um, And Carcassonne is something that, that really delivers on like, Hey, we're just going to put on an episode of Dr. Who that we don't really have to pay that close of attention to because it's probably not going to make sense if we think about Dr. Who too hard. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to uh, just kind of let the Dr. Who-ness wash over us and then also play some Carcassonne as we go and just kind of ha- have the game session. In a way, it's almost like building a puzzle, yet competitive puzzle building. Um I I think the only thing that I don't really like about Carcassonne is that it has such an opportunity to be really mean in Carcassonne. And, and mm-hmm. like, I dig that you normally can just be like, hey, I'm building my castle here and you're building your castle there. And you might put down a tile that kind of interferes with my ability to build a castle or I guess city. I, I wrote a review and I called it a castle and someone was like, actually they're not castles, they are cities. There's actually an expansion that's called castles. And I was just like, whatever, you know, it, in my heart of hearts, it will always be building mega castles. So oh, forget yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know. I find like the, the screwing over your friend aspect to be the most fun of Carcassonne. Uh, The, the encroaching in on their territory. Oh yeah. It it can be fun, but I, I only tend to do it in retaliation and that elevates Carcassonne (laughs) to a level of intensity that I don't really want out of it. Like we were talking about, like if you want this type of experience, there are better games out there for it. And so well, what like other it, games are there for that? Well, it, it's the the intensity. It's not necessarily the encroaching on someone else's space, not the mechanic, but the feeling, which is really mm-hmm. what games should be more focused on. Is you know what are the feelings that it elicits, and when someone is puts down a castle right next to my like beautiful huge castle, and they're like. Hey, if I get the right piece, you know where I'm coming. And you're like, no, I've spent so long working on this. Like there's a, a, a sense of dread and like a, almost like an anger. Like you better not come into my castle. I, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that you don't come into mine. And it, it elevates this game into this this really competitive and, and mean space that is fun and hilarious but also not really what i want out of carcassonne out of that experience of you know end of the day kind of just 
developing and building this game. And some people may say, well, you're just not taking advantage of the, the full rules of the game or you're like half playing the game or you're, you, you, you know, like, yeah, you, you take advantage of the good opportunities that are there, but uh, it, it's a game where typically myself and the people that I play with when playing Carcassonne specifically were more focused on like, how do we outrace each other in points than in I'm going to screw you um, because then that game just elevates that level of intensity that, you know, is like a seventh round Game of Thrones. Like, I'm going to, you know, claim the victory right now by doing some really under handed backstabbing and just make everyone go like no that's not what i want out of carcassonne and when you view the game as that then i do think it just becomes an underwhelming game yeah i mean if you're playing carcassonne for the points you're playing it wrong in my opinion like you know every, everyone to their own thing but like carcassonne for me is like yo i'm gonna build this board with my friends and i'm gonna totally mess with all of their plans and we're both gonna find it to be really funny like it's just a bunch of guys like when i play it i played it the other day with my friend dunn who's visiting from china and uh my buddy ez and the three of us were just like I'm going to get in your castle. Oh, <laughs> look at all those points. And like, it's just, we're just laughing raucously the whole time, just like messing around with each other. Like until it got to the point where it got too long, which is where again, I'm like, Oh, I got to make this game better. And then I pull out a bunch of tiles. And I'm like, these are worthless. Remove them from my sight. <laughs> like, it's funny. Me and my wife, we sway back and forth from both you know jack very similar this is our leisure banger right so we'll sit down and we'll put like you know pbs cooking shows or something that doesn't have necessarily a storyline on kids are to bed we're finally hanging out and chilling and here we are we're building our cities and then like one of us will make you know the move and i don't know if you know what the move is but it's that move that makes it the intensity game like okay wait are you building near me or are you gonna do your own thing and then you know <laughs> boom you come in and try to build on my stuff. Now it's like, oh, so now it's going to be this type of game. Huh? And it completely, <laughs> like, you just feel it, you know? Like, we call it the move. Yeah, know? yeah. It's like... It's the you, one that elevates it to... Like you you said, went there. You went there. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like in an argument that you're having with your spouse. And, like, it's kind of just one of those, like, eh, this is like an everyday kind of bickering argument. But then someone drops something that's like, oh, you went there? Like, it's going oh, yeah. to be that type of argument. Okay, yeah. okay, let me Four reassess sides. everything <laughs> here. Let's bring out all with the big guns. The, with the shield on it. Boom. Here we go. <laughs> yes. I'm going to drop it. Okay, so uh, let's see. What are we doing that's not on the table, guys? Well, I'll lightning round mine because I, I'm really interested in getting to the discussion topic here. But yes, I've been playing too. on the the Switch Dead Cells, which if you like Metroidvania games or you like video games that are, are all about progressive empowerment and, and skill development that are really difficult um, and you like games that are... Uh, like roguelikes, it's a side-scrolling, uh, really tight-playing uh, roguelike Metroidvania type of thing where 
Uh, every time that you progress through the game, you are accruing this this money called cells. You can buy things that will increase the drops or or type of stuff that you can start a game with or find as you're playing the game. And you die again and again and again and again. But each time you get a little bit further because you are essentially making the th things, the parameters of the game that it provides to you, that much more powerful. Uh, and there are some permanent upgrades. And it is one of the most addictive games I, I've ever played. Like one of those games where you're like, I'm just going to like sneak in 10 minutes of this oh, wait, I just played three hours of it, which was exactly my experience last night. Even though I had to wake up for a podcast, I was like, you know, it's <laughs> like 1230. I'm just going to play like 10 minutes of Dead Cells before I go to sleep. Oh, wait, it's 2.30 in the morning. I need to go to bed. And then I sat in bed thinking about Dead Cells for the next half an hour before I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what else is going on here. You had me at uh, side scroller though, but I've seen this one though, and it's got like uh, it's like like pixelated, but like the backgrounds are just like kind of like three D ish and depth and beautiful and yeah, indie, uh, great look to the game. Indie great games wow. are there are so many cool indie games out there right now. Uh, we've had this discussion kind of separately because all four of us are, are talking constantly in a, a group chat um, on Facebook Messenger. Yeah. But mm -hmm. like indie games, there, there's so many cool, innovative ideas out there. And I love that the Switch is like a, a platform that, that works really well for them. I mean, they're, they're out there for a myriad of different ways that you can play them. But the Switch is as a parent a godsend where either my son can be watching TV and I can be playing it on the couch or I can play it in bed or I can, you know, play it just for sneaking in a few minutes and then just shut it off. Um, between Hollow Knight and this, Dead Cells, I have just had some of the best video gaming that I've ever had in this wow. last year. Wow. Yeah, no, I feel yeah. I, I, it looks like a beautiful game, and it's definitely one I want to try at some point. I, if I play any video games, I play indie games. You know, mm -hmm. like that just, it's a, I don't want to call it a genre, but it's like a type of game that more often than not brings a lot more ingenuity to gaming, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, like that small indie game that you used to play League of Legends. Yeah. <laughs> I played League of Legends before. It was cool. <laughs> well, now League of Legends isn't like the most played game in the world. Now you can just hang out with everyone else playing, uh, playing uh, Fortnite. Yeah. Oh mm -hmm. God. With all the other thirteen-year-olds. All Luke, right, how about, Luke. How about you? Uh, so uh, I played. Uh, I replayed Bastion recently, and mm -hmm. I finished it within a 36-hour time frame. Like, <laughs> I hardcored that game real hard uh, in between work and other things uh, the last couple days. And I got to say, you know, that game super holds up. The art is beautiful. The gameplay is a lot of fun. Every time you get a new weapon in that game, it's like, oh, uh, this new play style is super interesting. And what do I want my combo to be? You know, do I want the, the plasma rifle shotgun spreader or do I want my trusty hammer and then a, a like rocket launcher? You know, like the game just has so much, you know, interesting choices 
And it wasn't a game where I felt like I'm just going to stick with my trusty two-weapon combo and just play the whole game. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to play a little bit of everything. And, like, that's just super interesting to me. You know, the the, the gameplay was fun. The, the music is beautiful, uh, if a little repetitive at times, because after a while you start hearing the same tracks over and over again. I'm like, all right, this one track is one I just don't enjoy, but that's fine. Um, I actually learned to play some of the songs on the ukulele, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the the singing numbers, um, but yeah, just like right. such a just such a cool game to revisit, and th- the narrative is so understated, but so well you know put together for the most part, and so well right delivered. How awesome is that narrator in that game? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that is the Rux. best. Rux is legit. Like he's such an interesting figure who you learn a little bit like every time he talks about him, even though he never really talks about himself until like mm-hmm. the last mission. I, I love when the, the narrator is a character in and of themselves that you mm-hmm. only get glimpses of. Like th- this is something that I'm reading um, the Narnia books to my kid and the amount of like, it, not really character development because it, it's not as stated of, of a character as in Bastion, um, but the the amount of story delivery that happens within the Narnia books, like it, it is very much written as though someone is telling you the story rather than you're just reading and observing the story. And it, it gives you this interesting voice to the narrator. And Tolkien did a lot of this too, and, and that kind of stuff that there's so many interesting ways that this has been presented over time. And that that's one of my favorite things about Bastion, other than all the things that you just mentioned, which are really great. The way the, the story is presented is unlike anything else in video games. It is so damn cool. Well, for yeah. me, I'm going to keep it video game related uh, because for me, I've been revisiting some stuff. Uh, I've been doing the the Witcher versus the Skyrim comparison just for you know just for my own measurement late at night or when I got some time. And um, we were joking the other day about the glitcher. I was calling it the glitcher, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because I had played the entire game through. Um, and I didn't experience any glitching until I started getting the expansions, which is unfortunate because you can tell they're trying to really push it with the expansions. So, um, boy, the invisible sword, the uh, the changing of the weather at times, like, man, it will kill it for you. But still, otherwise, other than that, still a fantastic game. It was nice jumping back on there. Um, the Skyrim one didn't hold up as well just because it was like the same group of like eight voice actors in every village. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just because you swap roles with them, it's like, yeah, I can still tell. And it's like, man, you know, uh, (laughs) I didn't spend too much time back on Skyrim. I'll just, I'll just put it, put it that way. So, um. What what kind of news do we got? You guys got news for me? Tell me what's going on. I haven't been really quick. Rob, you connected at all. Yeah. Rob, you playing any video games or doing anything else particularly worth sharing? Yeah, I. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. When I have time in between everything I said earlier, I picked up the uh, Mega Man X Legacy Collection. That's right. Ooh. That's right. Because Mega Man X was my jam back in the day, and it's and still I, your jam. It's still my jam. I um I can still beat Mega Man X, the first one, in about an hour, hour twenty minutes. 
Um, <laughs> and then I move on to the next Dude. one, and mm-hmm. I get owned because I didn't play those as much. <laughs> <laughs> on the first one, I'm stuck on the Sigma Wolf, uh, or rather the the fight after the Wolf, the the Sigma Sword dancing around one. I think that's the one I'm stuck on. Uh, you just climb up the wall and yeah, charge, yeah, and, and he bounces around. You just drop and shoot him, and then jump back up on the wall. Well, I guess I that, can that cheese sounds it. so cheesy, yo. <laughs> but it's great cheese. It's perfect. Oh yeah, only the uh, creamiest of cheeses. Yep. Yeah, I, I've been trying to play through all of them, but you know, time. But they're in October. They're releasing the new Mega Man game finally. So wait, there's a new Mega Man game coming out. Yep, Mega Man Eleven. Oh God. Wow. It yeah, looks I, really cool. It looks really cool. I'm hoping that it's not another what was that mighty number nine or whatever. Yeah, we don't talk yeah. about that. That yeah, <laughs> I picked I picked that up for like ten bucks and was like, oh man, I could have bought anything else with that ten dollars <laughs> and been <laughs> and been happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, although I did, I got Mega like, Man games still have some of the best music uh, Mega Man oh, X yeah. has the I've best music seen what, in, uh, what's your favorite uh, stage theme like Storm uh, Eagle has a really good theme Storm I, I, Eagle has a really really good theme I um, if we're going like just the eight eight um, bosses theme or eight stage theme I I'm a fan of Chill Penguins theme, but that's because I like always play that one first, and it's like I don't know, just catchy to me. Chill Penguin. It, <laughs> it's it's one yeah. of, it's one of like the the like earliest memories I have is playing Chill Penguin level. Yeah. So it kind of stuck with me. Although like the title theme is so good, um, but it, yeah. Other than that, like the final Sigma level when you're like climbing up the wall to get to the boss, it I like that. It's like chill and like creepy and awesome. But yeah. yeah. But Beautiful. yeah, I, I'm also behind the times picking. I pick, uh, picked up, uh, was it Far Cry 4? And uh, it, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. I, there's some like. It's kind of what I keep hearing too. Yeah, some like issues with like the <laughs> wingsuit not popping up when I push the button. So I, I've died a lot from that. Um, other than that, it's, it's, it's not terrible, but. It sounds like my uh, my review <laughs> of Octopath Traveler last time we got together. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> For sake of time, what do you guys want to go with next? Looks like we've got uh, – we're kind of hitting our time we usually end right now. So what do you guys think? Well, then let's yeah. do our homework. Yeah, let's just yeah. Uh, get to the homework here. Okay, and uh, our homework assignment was what game do you want to see a new edition of? Um, should we go with our our audience ones first? We've got some good ones. Yeah, yeah let's do it. John, John like Moffat at John Tex Mo of yeah. Stone Circle Games. Please, no new edition of Cosmic Encounter. I don't want to have to buy it again. <laughs> and comma and I would quote unquote from John Moffat at John Tex Mo of Stone Circle Games and. Um, looks like the jokes on him. There is a new edition coming out. Yeah, and, uh... I've got bad news for you, buddy. Like two <laughs> months ago, they announced a 42-year anniversary. Which, first off, 42nd oh. year anniversary. What kind of nonsense are you pulling? That's like the the clingy significant other who's like, let's have our seven and a half month anniversary. Or whatever. It's like you're just making up stuff now. You're just coming up with random nonsense, huh? <laughs> 
but like the game is from what I've seen, I've done a bit of research on yeah, it. So, uh, the game is almost entirely uh-huh. unchanged outside of like a slight tweaking of some art and the addition of like a character and like, that's it. Like there's one alien from a different expansion that's included in this expansion that has different mechanics. Mm. Well, if you're like me though, you'll be like, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we've got Tony Miller at bearded rogue co-host of breaking into board games and the co-designer of fire and library says, Quote, I'd like to see a new edition of Castles of Burgundy with better art. That game deserves to look better on a shelf than it does. And Android, the board game, could use a second edition to tighten it up a bit. It was a super ambitious design that could use another development pass. Um, You know, at Bearded Rogue, Tony Miller uh, also, uh, he kind of mirrored my honorable mention, which was Castles of Burgundy, because I've come close to... Yeah, but I, I've heard that the gameplay is fantastic. Jack, I know you play this one, but I just can't get past some of the visuals. Reviews I've seen have kind of talked about the visuals. So I feel like that was one that t- could totally be due also. Yeah, well, first off, um, you should read Luke's review of it because I think he really okay. nails the, the, the game on its head there. Um, and some of this is talked about uh, in the review. And... You know, Castles of Burgundy brings us back to the discussion at the top of the podcast about artwork and board games. And I think this is one where it's not just the artwork, which I think is all right, but it's almost the the like presentation, the tiles feel flimsy and like the, the artwork doesn't inspire anything. It doesn't necessarily detract, but you know, like it, it, it feels a bit hollow. Um, Like I, I think it's, it's fine. It's successful artwork, but the delivery of it doesn't feel good. And especially if you're someone who's used to really nice tactile pieces in board games, the, the, the feeling of the pieces aren't like you're like, this feels chintzy. Like this Mm -hmm. feels really chintzy. That said, it's like 25 bucks on Amazon or something like that. Right. And that is a stupid good price for, one of the best Euro games that I have ever played. By far, my favorite Stefan Feld game. It mm-hmm. is a game that is so good at two players and does well at three and four players. And it is like a, a master class on what tight, interesting decisions with random elements should look like. Like mm-hmm. that game is awesome i i love it and just like clans of caledonia it is an incredible game that that manages to succeed well beyond the presentation that you eventually kind of forget about the presentation itself right right i do wish there was a better version of it so it could look as good as it plays well for me um i was trying to think of what's the worst game that I can think of and uh Monopoly <laughs> well for me it's sorry because oh. I'm just not a big fan of like you know everybody I you know I used to work a lot in the social work field and you know sorry was a game that started lots of arguments that uh that ended a lot of arguments that <laughs> it was just a problem and you know especially when I was working with the population I was working with kids that are learning how to deal with conflict 
Sorry was not the one, you know, the guys that wanted to gang up on the one kid only having two ways of getting out of start, um, you know, mm-hmm. backing out. I just think that, you know, there could there the I love the whole theme of it. And I just think that it could be a little better executed. And why not? Like, unless people still, you know, unless, you know, the mainstream loves to just, you know, a straight up take that game. I mean, I, I've seen this game played brutally. I mean. You know, if you're working in a residential unit with kids that are having behavior issues, like we ended up just getting rid of sorry at one point because uh, they'd be like, let's play a board game. They'd be like, let's play sorry. And we'd be like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> we just started a war. In between yeah, all we, of would our... we would know. We would know if a homeboy was mad at this kid. Johnny was mad at Billy. So let's play sorry. Uh, Johnny, let's go do something else. So, um, Next up, Luke, what's your uh, new addition? game you'd like all right so really quick being the contrarian uh grump of the group despite the (laughs) fact that i'm the youngest member of the group um i believe i'm the youngest uh but that's that's a discussion for another time um so second editions uh i I don't mean to be singing jamie's uh praises but jamie stegmeyer uh made a comment a while back about how he super hates the fact that there's a second that he had to make a second edition to Viticulture because to him, second editions only exist when there's a flaw with a game that needs to be fixed. And I, I kind of am very much uh, in agreement with that. You know, if a game exists and it plays well and it does what it does super well, then a second edition isn't necessary and potentially will spite people who have the first edition and makes them feel like they have an inferior version of that game. So it devalues your previous product mm-hmm. while also, and like sometimes you need it, you know, sometimes it's necessary. But in a world where we have like a third edition and a fourth edition of Fury of the Dracula, where the only difference between third and fourth is the miniatures are painted, like. Someone's doing something wrong. But the um, differences between <laughs> second and third are quite substantial. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I own the second edition, and now I own the third edition. And it's insane just how much better, how much easier it is to get to the table. Like, uh, I, second edition took me eight hours, I think, to play a game of it for the first time because of how much just junk there is to navigate and understand and figure out and you know checking the rules and going on the forums and like that was just an experience of slamming my face against the table repeatedly that being said um if i had to pick a game to get a second edition because generally i just don't think any game that i really like needs a second edition Mm -hmm. but i looked I'm, i'm not gonna lie i looked at my shelf earlier and i'm like castles of burgundy could probably use an update like right <laughs> easily castles one of my top five games of all time and that's saying a lot for someone who's as hypercritical about everything as i am i adore that game to no end it's such a well-made game it plays at every player count so well you covered it super well earlier and like jack said the review speaks mm. for itself it's just such a brilliant game but i'm not gonna lie what you said about the tactility of it really changed my perspective where I'm like, yeah, that could really, that could really use a second edition, like more so than I was previously. I already thought the art needed an update, but just, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The tokens are super flimsy and like, there's not really a good way of setting it up either. Like, yeah, some, sometimes I'll set it up where I just have stacks of tiles on each of the spots 
which leads to some confusion sometimes or like someone accidentally flips the tile too early and it's like, wait, that, t- that pile is one short. Like what's up mm. with that? Or every mm. round you have to reset up everything. And it's like, Oh, it just needs to be, there must be a better way. Right. right. I completely agree with you. And it sounds like that's a pretty universal opinion. Uh, Ravensburger, the, 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 constant demand is out there why are you not delivering if not like a second edition then like a a deluxe anniversary edition or something you know like yeah like the 23rd anniversary or something like that yeah pick a random number just say it's your anniversary that sounds like the worst kind of burger ever to eat like a raven's burger like you're gonna get some like talons in there or something the meat's gonna be all chewy would Uh, you like some crow pie <laughs> With real crow's feet, Rob, that's where you get the flavor. But, but you, Rob. <laughs> uh, Rob, you weren't here for the last one, but uh, do you, the is there anything that you can think of off your head that you can uh, you want to see a new edition of? Yeah, um, I love it so much, but I I'd say Eclipse. Maybe maybe get some like updated. Well, hmm. it's a good thing that you haven't been in the I, board game world because Eclipse I, Second Edition is kickstarting. I know. I I did after I thought about that. I went and did a little research and saw that it's on Kickstarter, ready to estimated March night to two thousand nineteen. Um, it looks kind of awesome, and even though I don't have a lot of friends here that play board games, I might have to buy this and find two to six people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's a good one. And um, man, Eclipse is so good. It's you so need to good. come up so we can Agni Kai. Yeah, it needs to happen. <laughs> that sounds like a really inappropriate thing to be doing. Like, yo, we need to meet up so we can Agni Kai. Well, it's like best position. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It's it's a very personal relationship that Rob and I have over an Eclipse board with our buddy Zeno. The three of us, ooh, things happen oh when Eclipse is being played. Oh, oh gosh, gosh! All right, last All right. up, Jack. Okay, so I, I I had kind of like a Tolkien frame of mind here. Initially, I had Middle Earth Quest mainly because I was thinking about Christian T. Peterson is leaving Fantasy Flight Games, and uh, that or rather. Asmodee North America and that was kind of like an end of an era type of thing even though Mm -hmm. I'm not huge on Fantasy Flight as much anymore Middle Earth Quest is I I think a a gem of a game that nothing has really done much like it in the past or since Uh, but really when I'm thinking about a a Tolkien a Lord of the Rings game that I'd like to see updated it's Knizia's game because Reinar Knizia has made so many incredibly monumentally impacting games that have kind of shifted how the industry looks at certain genres of games. And many of his games have gotten or are getting re-releases. You have Tigris and Euphrates, Raw, mm-hmm. um, uh, Modern Art, the Medici copy with the Vincent Dutre artwork is insanely good. Like one, it's just a, a, an amazing game. That's like a distillation of like, how do we make a game that is simply about amazing tight choices and mm. nothing else. And, and <laughs> that kind of mindset is something that, that blows my mind and is what makes Kinesia's game so special. But Lord of the Rings, his, his cooperative game is, 
isn't the very first cooperative game, but in doing the Cardboard Herald for nearly two years now, it comes up again and again as, like, the progenitor of things that came after. Like, Bruno Catala directly cited that as, like, the main inspiration that led to Shadows Over Camelot, which was the first Mm. real betrayal game. And then out of that came Battlestar Galactica, Resistance, and all that. And then Mm -hmm. you have Matt Leacock, who was like, well, yeah, I mean, Pandemic was probably the game that made cooperative games really, really popular, but... I was directly inspired by the Canizia Lord of the Rings game. I mean, that 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 was the first cooperative game I ever played. And mm. I, I see its impact on the, the industry, but by today's standards, it does feel <laughs> kind of dated. Not only does it have the chintzy piece problem, um, which the Lord of the Rings is such a thematic thing, I would want it to be either really abstract, like still have the Lord of the Rings theme, or go full-on really, really detailed. Like, a lot of the components are, um, like, the players are represented by these Hobbit miniatures, but they're all identical miniatures, just in different colors. It's like, that Mm -hmm. seems dumb i mean get some different sculpts here that that seems lazy Mm -hmm. just give me wooden tokens to represent my character if you're just going to have them look identical uh and then the the flimsy chits and everything yeah they're terrible and the iconography is really terrible like this really like clip art looking heart or you know uh (laughs) like a sword or something is like this really could use an update and, and the, the cardboard itself really isn't that great. There is some fantastic artwork in the game. John Howe did a lot of the art, and I'm a huge John Howe fan. Um, but the the art design and um, graphic layout of the game is really kind of lame. Um, mm-hmm. And also, the way that you play the game, like I said, feels slightly dated. The, this is something that was like a brand new idea and cooperative games have had so much innovation since then since its original release i think in like 2000 or maybe even 1999 or so okay um, okay that i i think the core is great but we need to kind of bring this back to the <laughs> nearly 2020 where we're at and I think it could yeah. really benefit from an update. So that that's the one that I'd most want to see. Um, I'm not sure if I'd want them to change the player characters, though, because it's a f- up to five player game. And everyone knows that the five hobbits that went all the way to Mordor <laughs> were Frodo, Mary, <laughs> Sam, Pippin and Fatty. Because those are everyone's favorite five characters. <laughs> and yes, I know Fatty Bulger, Fredegar Bulger, is a character in The Lord of the Rings and was a <laughs> hobbit who posed as Frodo after he left Crick Hollow. I know that. You don't need to tell me that. 
Fatty, I'm not sure if he deserves to be on the caliber of all these other <laughs> four characters there that are core characters in this epic. But, you know, they were are like... You, are you slighting Fatty? Uh, are I, you talking smack on Fatty? I might be fatty shaming right now. But in a way, I also kind of love it. So I, I think right. I've... I've come to the point where if that were changed in a new edition, it would devalue the whole new edition to me. If they were like, oh, let's just take, I don't know, Legolas and make him a character or something, I'd be like, it's all about fatty. I'm playing fatty and you know it. Um, fatty life. Yeah, fatty life. So they've, th they've already added him. They can't take him away now. Like, right. He's become right. a member of that team, even though he wasn't a member of that team. He was a secret member, perhaps <laughs> the most important member. Who knows yeah. what would have happened if Fatty, the unsung hero of Lord of the Rings, hadn't actually <laughs> played his role in it. So I'm just I'm just hearing like Lord of the Rings theme on a kazoo in the background <laughs> as Fatty like stumbles out onto the field. Yep, yep, that's exactly it. it it's it's amazing. So uh, that's my pick for a game that I'd like to see a new edition of. Um, and huge thank you to um, uh, both uh, John and Tony for giving their little insight on that. And uh, if anyone listening has any additional thoughts about games that they'd like to see new editions of, we'd love to hear it. You know how to get a hold of us. That's right. That's actually this is probably one of my favorite parts because we can dig in with some of the people that are listening. And um, yeah, big J, big thanks to John Moffat and Tony Miller. Um, do you guys want to go with another discussion topic? Um, yeah, for like uh, next uh, next time. What do you got? Yeah, well, I was just um, I was just uh, hanging out with my wife one time and uh, we were talking with a, a friend. And then, you know, uh, they were kind of, we were like, hey, we got these games. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do this. And it's too much like work. And we were like, you know, we've heard that before. People just kind of looking at games and then just kind of being like, uh, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'd be like, that's funny because the, my video game friends are like, why are you paying $60 for a board game? And so, you know, you're in this limbo, you know? So, um, our next, next discussion topic, I'm sorry, is going to be what game do you think is the best to hook friends and or non-gamers and why? And what about it is the hook? What you can even talk about like a game mechanic that you've seen hook people, a game that you've seen hook people, any aspect, but how have you gotten people into it? I've gotten some people into it, and so I've got some early ideas, but I'm going to spend some time thinking about this one. So again, our next discussion topic. What game do you think is the best to hook your friends and non-gamers, and what about it is the hook? Totally. I can't so, wait to talk about it. I'm already thinking about tons of it, and I, I hope I, we get some audience response on that. And Yeah, please. We The, the, the more yeah. the merrier. And... Uh, um, I guess we're at the end here, so we can kind of plug our stuff too. You know, I just want to say that I'm on the Twitter at, at CD Elite One. I've uh, I just put my SoundCloud back up too, so hit me up on the SoundCloud. We're gonna get the, we're getting the Death Force going, uh, and um, Robin and I are gonna be connecting on that as well. On so that's what I've Twitter. got going on. It, the it's Twitter. the Twitter, the Twitter, um, the Twitter. Yeah. All right, uh, I'm Jack, and I'm at Cardboard Herald and pretty much any way that you communicate with the Cardboard Herald I'll probably be involved in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'm the budget board gamer. Um I do videos on YouTube and I do a lot of writing for the Cardboard Herald. 
and I do these podcasty things. So yeah, you can find me Ginger Cat Productions, which is probably I believe G Cat Productions on everywhere. <laughs> yep, most places. Yeah, you can find it. Awesome. You can find and, it yeah, we, on, on on the Twitter. Um, on the Twitter. On <laughs> SoundCloud. Um, it's not that, but that's fine. You don't need to find my SoundCloud yet. And if you want to <laughs> see some examples of like what you know, aside from Rob being a super awesome dude, and aside from him having done a ton of production stuff for the Cardboard Herald in the past. Uh, if you want to see some of the gaming-related stuff that he's done, he has a podcast, Paper Heroes, which right now is kind of in transition for a couple things, but there's a huge back catalog of all kinds of cool stuff that you can listen to, where it's a D&D live play, um, some of it with Rob as a player, some of it with Rob as a host or DM, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Can you, can you find that on the Twitter? You can find that at the Twitter at pa- uh, Paper Heroes Cast on, on the Twitter and PaperHeroesCast.com for... So I guess I just proved that I'm the oldest. Is that what I did? Is that what I... <laughs> I, I would imagine so. You, you may be oldest in chronological age, but uh, in uh, spirit, we can all agree that Luke is the oldest of old men who's oh, on this podcast. Absolutely. 100%. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.